This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. When we think about the saints, we probably default to the saints that we know the best, whose names are familiar to us, uh, whose names we invoke when we need prayers, uh, the, the saints that we've heard the stories of time and time again, who are arguably the most popular in today's world and culture. St. Augustine and St. Monica, most people know that story. Mother Teresa, even in the non-Catholic world, she's very well known, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. Pope John Paul II, I'm sure many people now know the story of Blessed Carlo. Or think about some of the, the more familiar faces in the United States of America, St. Kateri Tekawitha or Venerable Fulton Sheen. We often think of saints as our friends, at least we should, that's what this whole series is about, and then, in the same way that we're probably close to a handful of people in our life, and then have a wider circle of acquaintances, we tend to think about, default to, cling to the saints that we know the best and whose names are most familiar to us. And it begs a question of maybe what saints are missing around us? What saint stories do we need to learn? Who do we need to welcome into our life that maybe lived a life very different than ours looks, but yet still have something to show us and to teach us. Who in the communion of saints, who in the great Catholic family, who in heaven do we need to maybe get to know to diversify the saints that we're calling upon? Who from around the world, who from a different cultural background, who had a disability or, or who worked and lived in a completely different uh, style or location or, or, or place or, or way of life? What saints can we welcome that offer variety and aren't just saints that we're familiar with, that we're comfortable with, or that even look like us? Today on the show, we have someone who talks a lot about diversity. Um, and not just because it's an experience within her life where she wants to be in diverse circles, where she wants to be welcomed to the table as a black Catholic woman, but because she can speak so profoundly about the need for diversity in representation, both of the saints uh, and within leadership of the church. Gloria Purvis, one of the co-hosts of EWTN's uh, radio show, Morning Glory, sat down with me to talk about this idea of representation and diversity and to share her own conversion story, to talk a little bit about how the saints factor into her daily journey and prayer life, and to give us some insights into what it means to be represented, to look around and to see other Catholics, to see the stories of saints, of people who look like her who could relate to her black Catholic experience, who have been in the room where maybe they're the only person of color present, that they, as saints, would know a little bit about what she's experienced, both in and out of the church when it comes to racism, when it comes to being pushed aside and unseen. Even more importantly, and seeing herself represented when we have a more diverse lineup of saints that she knows that she is called to holiness too, that we would all see this reality 
and recognize that holiness is not exclusive and, and holiness is not uh, a prejudiced, isolated thing. Gloria Purvis um, shares beautifully in this episode about all of that and more. And I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. You would definitely enjoy her morning radio show, Morning Glory, produced and, and put out there by EWTN. This is all part of our Ave Explorer series on the saints, and you can find all of the content we've created over at AveMariaPress.com. Today's episode really goes hand-in-hand hand with a Facebook Live conversation that we had last night with Tabo Hall and Vanessa Goldberg, um, where we talked about two specific black saints in America who, whose causes for canonization are open. They're not saints yet, Father Augustus Tolton and Sister Thea Bowman, as well as this, this further conversation about diversity and, and representation uh, of a variety of different lifestyles and races and experiences within that pursuit of holiness. So go on over to AveMariaPress.com. You can find that Facebook Live rebroadcast, as well as all the other podcasts, articles, videos, everything that we've created for this series, which I think you would really enjoy. Right now, I hope that you sit back and enjoy this, this conversation with Gloria Purvis about diversity, about representation, and about what it means to be a black Catholic in America today who's looking for examples of holiness uh, that are relatable and approachable. Well, Gloria, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on sure. Ave Explorers. Um, yeah, glad to do it. I were to bump into you in an elevator and we were to just get, get to chatting. Who would I be talking to? Who would I have just met? What would I learn in that two minutes? About me? Yeah, about you. Oh, gosh, you probably, we just met in the elevator, bumped in the elevator. <laughs> probably learned that's just, I'm a Southern lady. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if the faith would necessarily come up, but a lot of people tend to ask me about my accent, which I don't think I have. But I guess sometimes it comes on, people ask me if I'm from the islands. And I was like, yep, the islands of South Carolina. There so, you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably that I have a daughter, that I'm married, um, and for whatever reason that I'm in the elevator, I'd be telling you where I was going. That's what you'd be finding out. So uh, if you had a crucifix or something or anything that indicated the faith, I'd probably say something that I'm Catholic or whatever. But yeah, you know, those well, are and, and I'm a fun-loving chick. Fun-loving. I didn't know South Carolina was. I knew you were Southern, but I didn't know from where. Wow. Yeah, I'm from Charleston. Beautiful really? city. Oh, yeah, wow. that's, that's I grew up. I it's a beautiful place. city, isn't it? It is. It and is. People are friendly and there's just so much history in that town. So yeah, that's where I grew up. That's awesome. And right there on the peninsula. I grew up on the peninsula of Charleston, which is okay. the downtown area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're in DC now. Yep, I'm in DC now. Um, been up here for a while actually. Um, left Charleston, went to school in upstate New York, and then lived around the United States for a little bit, lived outside the country for a little while, and then ended up here in D.C. DC and what do, you, what do you do there in Washington, D.C.? Are you in politics? Are you in, no, no, in election? Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, right now, I'm, my main thing is a full-time stay-at-home mom, but I also do that uh, morning radio show for EWTN called Morning Glory. I'm also on the board of a maternity home and pregnancy center. I've been here for a while uh, on that board as part of my pro-life work. Um, I'm a, it's funny, I have a Carmelite community here um, that I'm a part of. And I do a lot of other stuff that doesn't require me to be in DC. But um, yeah, that's about it, I would say. I mean, I don't do a lot of other things, but we don't have to go into those. I don't want to bore everybody. Oh, no, I, th I mean, I think folks know, I, I'm hoping folks are listening because they know who you are and what you've done. 
Um, I, you've been kind of everywhere in the past few months. I've, your name pops up a lot. Does and the it? Work that okay. it does, I see you on Twitter nonstop, and I love it because every time <laughs> I was like, oh, Gloria said something else. I got to go read it. I got to go listen to it. I want to learn. Um, oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> and the morning, you know, I listen to Morning Glory most mornings. It's yes, playing so in the bathroom while I'm getting ready. Uh, yeah. I listen to the broadcast. Uh, recently with the baby, I have not been getting up that early. So oh, well, I, could I, I can't I can't say I've listened to it in the past couple of weeks, but she's sleeping better now. So maybe I'll get back to it. Um, I'm hardly up and I have to do the show in the morning. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. I, which is the biggest joke on the planet. I am like seriously not a morning person and God with his sense of humor is like, you're going to do a morning radio show. There you go. And you have to be peppy <laughs> and you got to put those guys in their place and yeah. got to be awake. Yeah. Well, yeah. Gloria, I, I was so grateful that you said yes to coming on for our season on the saints, because I really wanted to pick your brain about mm-hmm. I think I don't even want to call it an issue, but kind of a a moment in the church where we have the opportunity to recognize that we haven't always done right by representation when it comes to talking about the saints. Like I'm thinking of a church Mm -hmm. here in my hometown, there's stained glass windows of saints all along the side and there's St. Augustine looking whiter than white. And we know he was (laughs) not white. And, 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 you know, we haven't done a good job necessarily of providing representation. So that's the conversation we're having today. Before we totally jump into that, I just want to yeah. ask you at the top um, a little bit about maybe your story of faith and maybe how the saints have impacted your faith oh, yeah. journey. If you're close to a particular saint, if there's yeah. you know, any saint that's the story has resonated with you. So, so tell us a little bit about your faith and your faith journey. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a convert. I, I'm, not, I was, I'm not a cradle Catholic. I converted to Catholicism when I was 12. Mm. Um, a family totally adapting and being supportive of it. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess I just think about my Baptist grandmother putting the rosary around her bedpost to be in solidarity and to encourage me to pray the rosary. Mm. And um, that my parents just, you know, it was, Charleston is known as the holy city, first of all, because it seems like we have a church on every corner. Mm-hmm. And so we'd pack up in the car and go to, you know, mass. They dropped me off at mass, dropped my grandmother at the Baptist church, which was, a, which was a half a block away. Then they'd drive over to the Methodist church. And after mass was over, I'd walk in, up to the Baptist church and sit and wait in there with my grandmother <laughs> during the Baptist services. And the Methodists were done and my parents would come and pick me up. And by the time they got to the Baptist church, it was finally wrapping up. So <laughs> yeah, I just had, I guess, an interesting walk in the faith in that regard as a child. Um, and, you know, it's uh, uh, now being, uh, you know, with the Carmelites, um, just, I guess for me, uh, if, if I were to really think about it, it just seems so natural, I guess, because I didn't have any real obstacles from my family and I always was the type of person that would go my own way if I thought something was correct and true. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I've had some um, interesting experiences, I would say that have sort of led me down certain paths, like to be uh, active in the pro-life movement and to discern uh, my call to Carmelites um, have been through really prayer and the Lord being really specific and sort of tapping me on the head and saying, do this child type of thing. So, yeah, what? I don't know if that's really, I sometimes don't generally talk about it because it sounds so weird to some people, but, um, you know. Well, no, I love it. I love that your family, I don't want to say allowed it, but, but encouraged it. I mean, that's pretty profound. Well, I mean, at 12, yeah, they encouraged it and really, yeah, you're right. They allowed it because they could have, you know, put the 
kibosh on everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't go home like the religious sister told me to, to ask if I could become a Catholic. I went home and just told my parents, you know, I'm becoming a Catholic. <laughs> this is and, um, you know, I remember my dad was looking at my mom like, what in the world is this child talking about? <laughs> and my mother's response, oh, you're going to be a Catholic? Okay, but you're going to go to Mass every Sunday, every right. day of obligation, you're going to pray your rosary, you're not going to eat meat on Fridays. And that's pretty much the case. I mean, that's what happened. And it wasn't until years later when um, I ended up taking my non-Catholic parents to Lourdes, my husband and I took them to Lourdes, that we discovered that they knew how to pray the rosary mm. because I was praying the rosary. And, oh, it's a funny happenstance the way God is all of my parents children all of my sisters now are Catholic converted to Catholicism wow so they got to you know be much more familiar than I I think probably they had intended uh, with Catholicism I mean it completely changed the faith life of the family Um, my parents waiting up for us to come back from midnight mass to open gifts I mean I remember my mother coming to each of my sisters going what did you give up for Lent what did you give up for Lent Lent?" so whatever she cooked once could coordinate whatever we all gave up oh that's awesome that's genius I mean yeah make sure all the kids gave up candy no desserts in the house for 40 days I'm gonna still I I remember one of my sisters said she gave up she would just eat a grapefruit for breakfast for all of Lent that was it oh my Yep, and she did. That's what she did. I That's remember a that. Sacrifice. Sugar or no sugar? I mean, she just. Yeah, I, no sugar. Oh, no. Oh, What's the God. point of having grapefruit if you're going to put sugar on it? Never. Mm-mm. So, and I hated grapefruit. I couldn't understand it, but that's, you know, she was older than me. That's what she gave up for. She gave up breakfast, really, and had that. Because we see grits and sausage for breakfast. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. things like that. So she was eating just a big, nasty, sour grapefruit Ooh, every yeah. morning. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't eat, I can't even taste grapefruit-flavored <laughs> things without grimacing. I uh, know, right? Yeah, uh, she was in high school at the time. I was still not in high school yet. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I love that. So so y'all convert to Catholicism. What I mean, there's a, there's a distinct difference, but... The, Methodists and Catholics, I mean, there's, there's some similarities there, but there's this huge distinct difference in what we believe, mm-hmm. um, especially surrounding the saints. I mean, we invoke the saints' names and, and we, mm-hmm. we pray with and to the saints. How did they maybe impact some of that? Was there a particular saint that you loved as a kid? Or, you know, or were you not, not that I had, I didn't have a particular saint as a child because I grew up in, I mean, while I was the lone Catholic in the family, you know, I did not have um, uh, the same understanding as probably somebody who's a Catholic, cradle Catholic. I mean, I didn't have any opposition, but it just wasn't that prevalent so much in my childhood. But I will tell you that I realized looking back that saints had picked me. Mm. So, for example, when I was in high school, I, you know, I studied Spanish in elementary and high school, and I was asked to take on the role of, <laughs> this is so funny now, to be St. Teresa of Avila mm. for a Spanish competition. And so, as I started to look back in my life, I started to see how she had picked me in, in several ways um, and had a relationship with me before I really realized how she was coming to influence and play a role in my life. And the same thing with the Blessed Mother. Mm. Um, I, you know, prayed the rosary and things like that, and... Um, coming to see how she had a, an influence in my life without me really realizing it till later. And I would say, um, it's funny, I've met living saints when I was a child, thanks to my Baptist grandmother, because when uh, Pope John Paul II came to South Carolina, she went to my father and said, you know, your children are Catholic now, and this man is very important, so pack up the car. we got to go to <laughs> Columbia to see this you know, the Holy Father. And, um, and then Mother Teresa came to Charleston and she went to my dad and said, hey, 
kids are Catholic. She's important. We got to pack up the car. And so it's funny how I got to be in the presence of living saints, really, because of my Baptist grandmother. Yeah, I go so far to say she was one of them. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Mm. She, you know, and it's interesting. She took um, the little prayer cards of the saints and she had them on her mirror to encourage me in my faith. Just she was really, you know, not that anybody in my family uh, ever was... um, like active against my faith. My grandmother, because she was a Baptist and, you know, reading that Bible and quoting mm-hmm. scripture, she was a strong supporter of, you know, me being a faithful person. And actually she's the one that taught me some of the Catholic devotions. Like wow. when you drive by a Catholic church, she was the one that said, you got to make the sign of the cross every time mm-hmm. you go by a Catholic church. And it wasn't until later that, you know, I, I discovered that Catholics do that because of the real presence. Yeah. But my grandmother just knew certain things that Catholics were supposed to do. And so she would say, hey, you're Catholic now. When we go by these Catholic churches, you make the sign of the cross. Yes. <laughs> so I love that. I know, I know. I think about it now and I, I kind of chuckle because it's just such a, a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. It is. Well, I love that, A, she encouraged, they, they all did, all these, these elders in your life encouraged your Catholic faith mm-hmm. and then advocated for it and then made you stick with it. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. it was oh, yeah, almost yeah. that like your parents could have looked at me like, oh, this is just a fad, but they let you lean into the fad and then it became literally the anchor of your life. I also love what you said about saints choosing you. Oh, yeah. um, saints oh, kind of, and, and I think that's something that happens to a lot of Catholics. These saints kind of stalk us almost, and they, yeah. they make their presence known. In your adult life and in your work with the pro-life movement, with the Carmelites, your radio show, a lot mm-hmm. of the anti-racism work that, that I know that you've been doing in a very mm-hmm. visible way for years, what saints have maybe been uh, on your mind lately or who have been following you around? Oh, gosh, you know, it's so funny. Oh, and let me just say, when I first became Catholic, it was through a mystical experience of the Eucharist. So I knew through mm-hmm. my bones that I was going to be a Catholic. So mm-hmm. it was like a very firm, uh, like I just didn't ever consider not. Like I yeah. knew this was life-changing because of the kind of mystical experience I had at age 12, Um um, during adoration, but uh, let me think. Like in terms of who's been following me around, I've had a long-term relationship with uh, Saint Teresa of Avila, <laughs> Saint Francis de Sales, and um, uh, Saint Anthony. Those three saints have been very, very much with me. Now, one who is on the road to sainthood that um, played a very important role in my life early on was uh, Servant of God Mary Lang. She's the founder of the Oblate Sisters of Providence, uh, which was started in Baltimore, and it was a, a, a an order for Black women, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, she played a very big role without me really realizing it till later, because my first grade teacher in Catholic school was an Oblate Sister of Providence, Sister Mary of Mercy. Mm-hmm. She was the first nun I'd ever seen in my life and she was the first black nun I had no idea that that was unusual or rare and she just really I mean I really knew that she loved me and she was a wonderful teacher and to this day so many of us talk about the outsized influence of uh, Sister Mary of Mercy and tying that back to uh, Mother Mary Lang who um for years wanted to be a religious. And when the opportunity came, they were like, we've been preparing for this for 10 years. And that her role was to educate free children of color, to educate children um, was important. And then I talked to the archivist at at the Oblate Sisters of Providence and found out that uh, Servant of God, Mary Lang, had actually lived for a while in Charleston. 
Oh, wow. No, I just found that out like in the last three months. And so I I feel like she also um, has played a role in my life, of course, without me knowing it Mm -hmm. explicitly. But then again, in retrospect, looking back, seeing uh, the role that she played um, through the Oblate Sisters of Providence and the, I think the real positive impact that uh, my experience of a nun having it the earliest stages of in my life in school was really important. I love this this Mother Mary. I, mean, I just googled her while you were talking. Yeah, yeah. Because her cause for canonization is open. Yes. That that's I I wish I and this is my ignorance of not knowing that there is a a, a black nun who founded an order for black women to yeah. black children whose cause is open. <laughs> This is, I mean, this is why the conversation about why we need more diverse representation or we need to have these conversations. Like I went to the Black Catholic Church in Charleston. Mm-hmm. It was called St. Patrick's. It is called St. Patrick's. And so my experience of Catholicism growing up was a Black church with a mm-hmm. Black priest. Okay. So that was my experience. So it wasn't until, you know, I, I knew there were other churches and that they're white, but it wasn't a part, it just wasn't a part of my experience because I went to that particular church and it had a strong community, Knights of Peter Claver, um, you know, and, and the Knights of Peter Claver is a family organization. So mm-hmm. they have the ladies auxiliary, they have the junior knights and junior daughters. And so it was just, you know, um, I guess I kind of was in like a cocoon, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were part of the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, and the cathedral school that I went to, even the Catholic school that I went to was all black, except for maybe the teachers and the administration, you know, we had mm-hmm. some black teachers as well, but that's just the way it was. And I mean, I'm not old or anything like that, but, you know, it just shows you how much, um, you know, the communities were segregated. You know, mm-hmm. you just, just was. And the, uh, the times when I did come into contact with white Catholics was through the intramural program, I guess, when our, our cathedral school would have uh, basketball games with some of the other Catholic schools. Um, and that's when I met white Catholics, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, going to high school. And that was a whole different experience, let me just tell you. Mm-hmm. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Gloria Purvis. You can listen to her every morning on EWTN's Morning Glory, and you can find more of our content about the saints over at AveMariaPress.com. Just click up at the top, and you can sign up for the weekly emails to get podcasts, videos, articles, social media exclusives, and more, unpacking the topics that we've chosen, this time, of course, being the saints. We hope you sign up, and I hope you enjoy the second half of this episode with Gloria Purvis. So, so why is that so important, Gloria, to make sure not just that mm-hmm. we know the stories of people who don't look like us, but, but even for the black child, the Hispanic child, to see themselves in the stories of the saints, to know that well, yeah. this is possible for them. Well, yeah, I think it's, I also think it's important for white children too, because yes. there's so yes. much programming, you know, there's so much programming, actually, I would say cultural conditioning that this country has that is has an anti-black sentiment to it from its earliest days that certain things just are in the water and Mm so i would say that that it's uh it it needs to we are a catholic church it's a you know meaning for everybody right that it's universal that it's all people can be in this church and in fact all people can be in heaven and we should have we should I, I think our icons tell about what we value and what we believe and they should reflect that truth 
you know? So to see St. Kateri Tekakwitha, to see St. Martin de Porres, to see St. Paquita, to see, um, oh, I can see his face right now, uh, blessed, um, oh gosh, it's a priest and it's just escaped me. But then to also see there's a Carmelite uh, blessed who's a layman that was tortured in the Congo and his name is escaping me as well. But to see their pictures and to know their stories uh, would be, I think, helpful to um, the church here in the United States. And there are many more that we don't know of. They just aren't in the United States. Mm -hmm. And right now in the United States, we have um, uh, Venerable uh, Augustus Tolton. Mm -hmm. We've got Venerable, um, I can see him right now. He's buried in in, uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, uh, Toussaint. We've got Venerable Henriette DeLille, who also founded a, a community for Black women in New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been to their mother house, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, in New Orleans. You've got them. You've got um, now uh, Servant of God, Sister Thea Bowman, Servant mm-hmm. of God, Mary Lang, and Servant of God, Julia Greeley, all on the path to sainthood, all uh, here in the United States and all uh, Black people. And to know their stories and to understand, you know, how they came to the faith, why they stayed with the faith, I think is a, 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 a testament for everybody, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's important uh, representation-wise just because it tells the truth about our faith. And uh, I also will have to say, I know some, some young ladies that, you know, in trying to talk to people and evangelize these two young African-American women, you know, that some of the pushback they received is that they were, you know, you say your church is Catholic and it's universal, but there's nothing in your iconography that indicates mm-hmm. that it's anything but, but for and by white people. And that's what your heaven looks like. And that's what the, your holy people look like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a, it was a, a good critique, you yeah. know, to say, well, let's, what, what do we have to, and why is that? And to sort of, you know, just be truthful about who the communion of saints are and have those, that representation because it's who we are as Catholics and it's what heaven is going to look like. And I think we have frankly a lot to do to um, counter program for a lot of the anti-black sentiment that's been in this country since our earliest stages when we first decided to deny the humanity of the African and enslave them for life based on skin color. Mm -hmm. And then to set up laws and practices and traditions that further cemented in people's minds the, um, the status of black people is not fully equal and human and not made in the image and likeness of God. So from a spiritual uh, standpoint, we have a lot to do uh, to counter that. And that, that sentiment is still with us today. Yeah. Is that why you think sometimes we see the, the quote unquote, the whitewashed image of St. Augustine, or we don't know the names of these people right off the top of our head, say the same way that we know the Mother Teresa's and the, the St. Therese of Lisieux of the world? Is it because of that pervasive anti-Black sentiment? Well, I think, you know, if, especially if you start to read uh, how the church responded to the civil war, mm-hmm. how the church responded to the freedmen, you know, after abolition, how the church responded to black people in general, to calls to vocation for men who wanted to join the priesthood. It's an abysmal story mm-hmm. and it's an embarrassment. Even in the civil rights movement, we were not by and large, the majority of Catholics were not for the civil rights movement. Right. And in fact, wrote some of the most awful letters 
to like Archbishop Cody in a in Archdiocese of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's what I'm saying is that unfortunately, instead of the church changing the culture um, through these periods in the United States, you had the culture influencing the church. And frankly, black holiness didn't seem to be something that was even on people's minds. You know what I mean? So it was just not even a thought. It was so foreign. And I will say from my own experience of presenting art that shows like Jesus is a black man or the blessed mother is a black man, uh, St. Augustine as non-white as a black man, the kind of um, hateful responses from self-identified serious Catholics has been disappointing. And they've had nothing in their um, in their formation that educated them um, in a way that made them see the error in their thinking and the and the problem with their animosity. I mean, I think about the KKK priest in Virginia. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that this man went through seminary, was a priest, and you know was teaching about you know, the lost cause mythology of the civil war. I mean, this is in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he just got found out what about three, four years ago about his background before he came into the priesthood, that he was a member of the KKK, had burned crosses on people's lawns. One was, I think, at a Jewish facility. Another was on the lawn of these black people who, by the way, were Catholic. Um, so, and I kept thinking to myself, how is it that this man at the North American College in Rome oh, God. and <laughs> felt nothing in his formation to challenge his racist beliefs, you know, mm-hmm. and his, his attitudes and leanings and preferences. And in fact was, you know, celebrating mass in Virginia and it just had encountered nothing, you know, that challenged that. Right. And, um, so <laughs> It was a big scandal how it came out because some lady was like, I remember this guy. How's he? And, you know, so on and so forth. But it, it made me realize that there's, a, there's, a, there's still a gap in, in things that we need to address, I think, in our attitudes and take a real honest look at our history and, um, you know, and say, what can we do to make amends for this? What can we do to convert hearts on this? I mean, Katie, if you doubt me, how many of our listeners really think they could have a crucifix at their church with an African corpus and people not lose their minds? Right. Yeah, you're right. right. So, it, it, right. So you would have all these people crying for historical accuracy, which people will say, oh, he wasn't this, he wasn't that, but have not, not a, a hint of concern upon walking in any church and seeing a, a, a Scandinavian Jesus on the cross. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> right. right. So yeah. it's, it's um, it, there's something that still remains to be done. I sometimes say we need a psychological exorcism in this country yeah. uh, to convert hearts and minds um, and be able to see blackness not as a curse, but as a gift from God that's, um, and in fact, it was Pope Paul VI when he was in, I forget which African country, but he was saying, bring your gift of blackness to the church. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that it's a gift, that what we have is a gift. We're creating the image and likeness of God and we add to the beauty of the church. And we are a normative part of the church. It's not mere enculturation. You know, this is Catholicism. You know right. what I mean? Right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking you and Sister Thea are going to hang out in heaven someday. Because that's, <laughs> that's what she said to the bishops in, in the 80s, right? Like this, uh, yeah. this call to, to recognition. And I, I feel like the story of the stories of Black and Hispanic and non-white saints 
-hmm. help us help us understand this point, right? If I can learn the story of Augustus Tolton and see the perseverance and see the devotion to daily prayer and see his desire to serve the church universal, even though they didn't necessarily want him to serve. And I can maybe, I can, I, I, as a white woman can even see myself in his story, Mm -hmm. right? That's not just a story for black boys. That's a story for me as well. Um, Of of the, let's say of the, um, the non-white saints whose causes are open right now, yeah. Who do you think is maybe most important to know about? If listeners are sitting here thinking, okay, I need to go do some mm. research. I need to learn. I need to put a different icon in my home so my kids don't just see white people. Right. <laughs> Who would you encourage us to go Google and to learn more about? Uh, you know, I think Mother Lang. Um, she originally was from Cuba. Um, and she was a part of the French-speaking community in Cuba. She spoke French, Spanish, and English. Oh, wow. Um, came to the United States. I mean, she has a remarkable story. Um, and I know that, that the, the Abla Sister of Providence have a website up for a cause to come and learn more about this woman who, by the way, the school that she founded is still in existence in Baltimore to this day. Wow. And you can go there and see the little bed that she slept in. I mean, it's just, you know, she's just such a, a remarkable woman. Um, and to read her story and to read about, and then you see a little bit how, how, how the Oblate Sisters of Providence, you know, when their spiritual director was gone, or they just, it was hard for them to find a priest to care for the community, mm-hmm. but they persevered, you know, um, and she was very sober about race relations, and she was like, look, if, if we're going to be in this house, you know, uh, we can't be put in a community with other white sisters or things like that, be, it, without her being explicit about it, because she knew Mm-hmm. That, that it was going to create, an, it, it would be a, what would I say, an obstacle mm-hmm. to their being able to fully practice, you know, the faith. So she was very wise about, look, you know, racial relations may be one thing, but we're not going to try to put ourselves in a situation where it is going to have an impact negatively on our practice of the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like people to learn more about her, of course. Actually, any any of the those on path to to um, sainthood that are in the United States, people could learn about. I'm sure people know more about probably uh, Toussaint because he's been around so long. Um, Augustus Tolton is getting a lot more um, press, I think, since um, D. Philippus Productions has done a play about him. There's a couple of books out also about him. Um, Henriette DeLille, they had uh, a, a movie made a long time ago with Vanessa Williams starred as her, sort of told a little bit, you know, of her story. It, you sort of understood the um, race relations at the time in uh, New Orleans, but uh, in Louisiana. So any of them, really. But I have to say, I um, just because I'm thinking about Sister Mayor of Mercy in Baltimore, so close, of course, wanting people to learn more about Servant of God, uh, Mary Lang. Yeah. Well, and we're going to put all those links down in the show notes so people can learn. I guess here at the end, then I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everybody. And we, we kind of talked about it with Mother, Mother Mary Lang, uh, kind of being the one that you're close to these days. Mm-hmm. Who is a saint, just in general, from the full communion of saints that you maybe you find yourself drawn to and close to um, in your work with radio, in your work with the pro-life movement, who, who are you closest to? And then my next question is going to be, who do you want to get to know, just to give you a heads oh, up? Oh, gosh, that's <laughs> such a difficult one. You know, I will say again, you know, <laughs> a St. Teresa of Avila has really been 
on me. And, you know, I don't know if people know this, but the Carmelites at one time had a rule about people of Jewish descent not being able to join it. I don't know if people know mm. that St. Teresa of Avila was Jewish. She was of Jewish descent um, of, of the people in Spain. There mm. was some people were people in Spain who were Jews who converted, and they were always sort of looked at. I think they're called conversos. They always sort of looked at askance. Like, are you really Catholic? But um, so it's hard to say, like, in, in my pro-life work, that there's any one in particular um, that uh, is of influence. Again, I think I just, also the Martyrs of Compiègne. There's something about the Martyrs of Compiègne. I know they're all French, <laughs> but their they're hard sacrifice uh, of their lives willingly in the face of a hostile um, culture, uh, which then within 10 days after the execution brought an end to the guillotine, brought an end to the reign of terror. There's something attractive uh, about them and that whole witness to me. You know, I read about them and I, I feel like sort of the martyrs of Compagnon here and there sort of like try to prod me and speak to me. And that blessed that I was talking about before was Blessed Tansy. Okay. It is his name. Blessed uh, Cyprian Michael Iwene Tansy. He's a Nigerian um, uh, priest. He had a very, very interesting story. And he also talked a lot about, look, don't pay attention to how these white missionaries are living rich in the sun. Yeah. And he was very, uh, uh, austere in, uh, practicing the, his priesthood. He wasn't going to try to live like the, as he said, the white missionaries that are basically living fat, you know, if yeah. he's, like, he's like, that is not the way. Uh, and so blessed Tansy had a lot of suffering, but he was, uh, incredibly, I think um, uh, his, his story is incredibly special. Again, not American, but an African saint, um, born in Nigeria and died in the UK. Oh, wow. So, yeah. somebody to learn about as well. And I think I'm going to probably spend the next two hours just Googling people and learning <laughs> more. And, and we have, a, um, we have a, a picture from Paper Monastery. She's an artist that I, I follow on Instagram of St. Josephine Bakita in our hallway. Yes. We have kind of a, a hallway of saints um, and it's gorgeous. The colors are bright. It, 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 it stands out on the wall in comparison to the others. And my daughter always stops and looks at it and we get to kind of pause for a moment. And, and I like the fact that I, I, I am committed to making sure that she sees the diversity and the breadth yeah. of Catholicism. Um, yeah. Yeah. Gloria, where can we find out more about you and what you're doing? Uh, <laughs> follow your work. Yeah, you know, you can find me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis. I'm also on Facebook, Gloria Purvis, P-U-R-V as in Victor, I-S. I also have an Instagram account, I am Gloria Purvis. And I've written a few articles here and there. I wrote something for Catholic News Agency um, about, uh, you know, what's missing from the national conversation on uh, race and policing. I did an article some time ago for Catholic News Agency, and I also wrote a piece for um, uh, the National Catholic Reporter to mm -hmm. basically about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, you know, her desire for equality for women. And I sort of make a plea to her based on her own Catholic mm -hmm. sentiments mm -hmm. and some of her stated goals as a, you know, somebody that's a feminist, how, you know, being pro-life is the way to go. Right. So they yeah. can find it. Just Google. I've got videos oh, yeah. I'll, everywhere. I'll that put I did that in the show. I love yeah. that article. It was a, it was a good, I think, call to action. Um, I, hope, you know, I hope she read it. <laughs> I hope she read it too. And I hope actually also for Catholics that read it, that we understand the importance of knowing what people value and why, because that's the best way to be able to appeal to someone. And so understanding what feminism 
means and what um, what they mean by uh, patriarchy and properly understanding what they mean and being able to use that understanding, which by the way, if you understand what they mean by patriarchy, they're talking about the uneven relationship of power between men and women. And they didn't want a relationship of dominance over women, but one where men and women are loved and appreciated and treated equally. And I was like, that's not at all in conflict with what we believe as Catholics. Now maybe right. how some people interpret how we get there, we mm. might differ on, but the value, the core value is the same. And when we start to approach people in that way to be able to talk about issues with taking their ideas seriously and studying them and, and, and sifting through what can be true and good that we can share in common and bridging it using that language to appeal to people, I think is a more effective way of evangelizing rather than, you know, making everybody seem as they're our infernal enemy and picking sides. Because remember, Christ died for all of us and we all should want to get to heaven together. Mm -hmm. And um, a part of that is um, doing the work of um, evangelizing, but we can't evangelize using just our language. We have to evangelize using the language that the people understand. Yeah. Um, so. Well, I think <laughs> so. you're doing that very well. So thank you for. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for your work. Kind. Truly, truly. Thank awesome. you. What cloud of witnesses are we surrounded by? Who do we know about? Whose stories are we telling? Um, are we looking around the room and ensuring that everyone is represented? Am I doing that? We have a very diverse listenership. And not long after we did one of our episodes about systemic racism in America and in the church with Father Josh Johnson and Sister Josephine Garrett, I received an email from a black Catholic. And she proceeded to share with me how for a lot of her life as a Catholic, um, not a convert, but born and raised Catholic, uh, with a story not too far off from Gloria's going to a black Catholic parish in her hometown, that it never really occurred to her that there are some places where there is not much diversity and representation because that was not her experience. And she was sad that for many people, that is not their experience, that the church is, is big and that the church looks uh, very colorful and that that is a good thing. And I think today Gloria really... Uh, starts that conversation maybe, and, and I know it, it definitely challenges my heart to ensure that I, I'm advocating for diversity in my life, that I, I, I use the places of privilege that I perhaps find myself in to tell the stories of, of Pierre Toussaint, of Mother Mary Lang, of Father Augustus Tolton, and Thea Bowman, that I advocate for diversity because it's important to have. The saints' stories are diverse. The saints' races, the countries they come from, the lives they lived are wide and varied, and it's important to see them all. This week, we've been digging into that diversity, and you can find all that content over on AveMariaPress.com, articles, videos, other podcasts. Later this week, we have an episode with Father Robert Boxy, who is part of the Guild that is advocating for the cause of canonization for Sister Thea Bowman. Uh, it's an excellent conversation, very similar to the one we had today with Gloria about diversity in the church. I think you'll really enjoy it. You can find everything that we've created, both for this Ave Explorer series and all of the other ones, at the Ave Maria Press website. We'd also encourage you to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to see posts as they go up. And as always, we'd be grateful for a rating and review of this show so that more people can find Ave Explorers. We just hit over 90,000 downloads of this podcast. We are so proud of what we've created, and we hope that you share it with folks. 
and that you continue to come back week after week to listen to these excellent conversations. We want to talk to real people and have real conversations about their real lived faith. Thanks for listening this week. We'll see you soon.